Good morning, brothers and sisters. We will this morning be continuing our journey through the gospel according to Mark. Specifically, our text will be in chapter 15, verses 16 through 20. As we have worshipped our God and Father this morning through confessing our sins to Him, the reading of His Word, lifting up songs to Him, and singing to one another, we now come to the portion of our service where, as we were just singing, that He speaks to us as um, His Word is proclaimed. And so now here, these are the words of God. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. These are the words of God. Church, you may be seated. Now let's go to our God together in prayer. Holy Father in heaven, we lift up our eyes to your throne this morning as we have assembled together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who we know at this, on this very day, at this very moment, is standing at your right hand, victorious, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our great high priest who is interceding for us every day of our lives. Father, it is in him and through him that we offer up our worship to you this morning. Father, we are so grateful that you have made us a kingdom of priests to you through him. Lord, we pray that this worship service, that as we have lifted up our praise to you and as we continue to do so through this morning, that it would ascend to you and that it would be pleasing to you and that it would be a means of, means of encouragement to us as well. Father, we also pray the same for our brothers and sisters at Emmanuel Baptist Church up in Verona, Virginia this morning. We pray for our dear Pastor Kaysen, as he is ministering up there and teaching Sunday school, Father, that he would be a blessing to your saints up there as he is to us, as he teaches them from your word. Lord, that you would be pleased to bless their service as um, Pastor Luke, um, Pastor Wheeler, Pastor Kaysen lay their hands on um, Pastor-elect Greg McGonigal as he is ordained and installed the gospel ministry of the church up in Verona. Lord, we pray that you would equip um, Greg to be a faithful pastor, that he would be pleasing to Christ as he serves your people at Emmanuel Baptist, um, and that his ordination and installation would be encouraging to him and to the saints there, but most of all, that it would be glorifying to Christ, um, the supreme head of all local churches. So we lift them up to you this morning. Holy Father, um, in our own congregation, we lift up the needs that are in our body. Father, we lift up um, baby Emmeline Ingersoll. Lord, we thank you that um, her hospital visit was brief yesterday. We thank you that she was able to receive fluids, and we ask that today that you would continue to strengthen her, continue to heal her father, that she would continue eating and drinking, that um, she would have vigor restored to her, Father, that um, you would show your kindness to her and to Jared and Leah. We thank you for 
preserving them through this um, stressful time. We pray for our brother Robert. We ask that you would continue to heal his arm, O God, such that um, he would receive a full recovery and that um, he would not be inhibited from his labors and that he could return to those quickly. Father, we trust that you are the great physician in all of these situations. And, O oh Lord, we also lift up to you our sister, Kimberly Fenney's dad. We ask that you would show mercy and kindness to him as he is in the ER right now. O oh Lord, we pray that you would help the doctors, the nurses, the other medical staff as they are taking care of him as the port that was inserted for his chemo has become infected. Father, please guide them, guide their hands, guide their decisions. We ask that they would be able to treat this infection. Father, that it would not ravage his body, but, oh Lord, that you would preserve him and spare him that. Father, we pray that the chemo for his cancer would be able to continue in a way that would kill the cancer and that he would be strengthened through it. Father, that you would provide healing for him, that you would provide peace to him, as well as to Kimberly and to Scott and to their whole family. Oh Lord, would you embrace them in your arms. Uh, may they feel the light of your countenance shining upon them, and may they look to you and trust in your goodness. Father, in all these circumstances, we, we trust all these to your goodwill, knowing that you will do right. And Lord, thinking larger, more broadly in our world, we also pray for our brothers and sisters who for decades now have been suffering under the dictatorial, tyrannical heel of the Communist Party in China. Father, we are so encouraged in many ways when we hear about how the saints in China continue to meet and to worship on your Sabbath day, even when their rulers would demand that they not do that and that they would worship the state rather than you. Father, would you please keep them, protect them, Help them to persevere, to look to Christ, to keep running the race, that they would not grow weary or be discouraged. And Father, if it is your will for many of them to be imprisoned, that they would not forsake their profession of faith. Help them to endure. Help them not to be afraid. And Lord, we even pray because we know that you are able, that you would um, change the heart of um, Xi Jinping, the president of China, and for all of the rulers there, that, Father, you would change the nature of that government not to be one that um, encourages evil and one that persecutes your church and your gospel, but one that would be such that your gospel would be able to openly flourish in China. But Father, we lift them up to you. We do not forget about them. We pray that you would help us to remember them and all our persecuted brethren throughout the world continually and that we would not take our liberties for granted and that we would be ever thankful for them. And Father, now finally, we pray for your blessing upon this time. Father, we pray that um, as our Lord Jesus prayed in his great high priestly prayer that you would sanctify us um, through your word, for we trust that it is your word and that it is truth. Have your way in us and through your word, O oh God, make us more like Jesus Christ, our dear Savior. We lift up um, this prayer to you in his name. Amen. One of my favorite hymns is Crown Him with Many Crowns. Many of you are probably familiar with that little personal fact about mine, but if you weren't, there it is. I actually have the sheet music framed for it over in my office next door. One of the reasons why I love it so much is that it walks through the glories and triumphs of Christ in a way that moves me to worship every time that I sing it. The last line goes like this. 
Crown him the Lord of heaven, enthroned in worlds above. Crown him the king to whom is given the wondrous name of love. Crown him with many crowns as thrones before him fall. Crown him, ye kings, with many crowns, for he is king of all. We serve a mighty, risen king, church. Christ is the king who has triumphed over his and our enemies, and we trust that one day he is coming back to finish the job. Amen? And may that day come soon. But we know, do we not, that prior to Christ's exaltation, Christ humbled himself. Jesus himself tells us that this was necessary in Luke 24, 26. He says that it was necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And we learn this, do we not, by looking to and studying the Hebrew scriptures. Consider, for example, Joseph the son of Jacob, who was reviled by his brothers and made a slave in Egypt. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, you will remember, and he was thrown down into a pit, imprisoned. All of this was unjust and cruel. Oh, he suffered for righteousness' sake. But what happened? God vindicated Joseph by raising him up out of his humiliation and exalting him to become the second highest ranking man in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. Suffering and humiliation were followed by glory and exaltation. That's the exact same pattern that we see in the life of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Jesus deserves all glory and honor. Jesus deserves to be crowned with many crowns. But that is not what we are reading about today in Mark's gospel. As we have continued this journey throughout the gospel together these last couple of years, we have been reading about Jesus in his state of humiliation prior to his exaltation, when he had humbled himself, emptied himself, to use the words of Paul in Philippians. Today's account is our Lord Jesus receiving a very different kind of crown than he possesses today. This is an account of Christ receiving a crown that was meant to inflict pain, and humiliation on him. Not a crown in recognition of his worth, but one in hateful mockery of him. And yet, just like last week, this is yet another important step on Jesus' road to save us from our sins. And as John Calvin rightly observed the treatment of Christ that we read of here today, these punishments that are inflicted upon him, oh, it would have been just for them to have been inflicted upon us. But it is a vile, despicable injustice for these things to be perpetrated by vile, sinful men upon the sinless Son of God. When you look at verse 16 in our passage this morning, Mark is transitioning us from the account of Pilate condemning Jesus to the actions of the Roman soldiers who were stationed in Jerusalem. It has been noted by one commentator, and I agree that Pilate most likely did not order this disgusting display that we read about this morning, but he seemingly didn't do anything to stop it either. Mark tells us the soldiers led him away, inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. So is Jesus such a dangerous criminal that the whole battalion had to be called in to make sure they could handle him, to ensure that he didn't attempt to escape or kill someone? Oh, of course not. And these soldiers knew that. This isn't the action of honorable military men, and they aren't taking precautions with a dangerous prisoner. 
This is a band of wicked sinners who all wanted to get in on the fun. In their darkened minds, Jesus was a pretend king. And they wanted to come together to show a pretend king what happened when you were declared an enemy of Caesar. These are thugs coming together to pursue their own sadistic entertainment at the expense of our Lord Jesus. There is something about the dynamic of sin, of sinners sinning with other sinners that often seems to increase the evil or make people more brazen and high-handed as they carry evil out. Paul teaches us this about fallen man in the book of Romans. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree, they not, um, or sorry, they know God's righteous decree and those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, as church members, we are commanded to encourage one another to love and good works. But often we see lost men and women in the world doing the exact opposite of that, encouraging one another to more and more hate and wickedness. We can see that reflected in many ways, whether that's a riotous mob coming together to loot and kill together, or even in an entire society that casts off God's law and normalizes abominations like transgenderism or pornography. But God forbid that we as believers would come together with one another and take part in sin with one another rather than building one another up in Christ. But do we not sometimes, even in a group of believers, feel comfortable performing certain sins like gossiping about someone if everyone else is doing it? Or do we perhaps feel comfortable drinking more than we know we should? Or young people, do you get into groups and hurl insults at one another or say cruel things rather than sharing encouraging words that build up and edify? If everybody else is doing it, it makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? May our groups, church, may our gatherings, our interactions with one another, whenever we come together in any circumstance, never be able to be mistaken for those of the lost world. Everything that we do is under the lordship of Christ. And though each one of us fall every day, we must strive not to bring reproach upon the name of Jesus. But of course, in this account of Mark today, bringing reproach on Jesus is exactly the goal of the Roman soldiers. They wanted to drag Jesus through the mud, as it were. This scene is mockery of Christ for the entertainment of lost pagans. And lost men in our day are no different. They still mock Christ. They mock Christ for their amusement. TV shows, adult cartoons so-called, Hollywood movies often portray our Lord in silly, even blasphemous ways to get cheap laughs. People use the blessed name of our Savior lightly or even as a curse word. We know that a day of judgment is coming for such things because our God is not mocked. 
But church, while this is a wicked sin for all people to engage in, surely it should be unthinkable for us, the people whom Jesus has saved, to laugh at irreverent portrayals of him or to use his name in a dishonorable way. Are we not jealous for the honor of our Lord? How could we be entertained by such things or engage in such actions with the lost world? Surely that should bring no pleasure to us. We are those united to Christ. Those who have had the law of God written on our hearts. We take pleasure in God's law as those who have been freed in Christ from the law's curse. The curse of the law, we know, came upon us all when Adam rebelled against his creator, deciding that he could determine his own destiny rather than submitting to the Lord who had covenanted with him and given him every good gift. He rebelled by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that guilt, that corruption extends to every boy and girl, man or woman. But we understand that the fall of our race didn't just condemn our race. It also brought a curse upon the created order. Earth itself. In Genesis 3, 17 through 19, as God is addressing Adam, he says this, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns. And thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. One of the consequences of Adam's rebellion was the earth bringing forth not just the good plants for food and beauty, but also thorns and thistles. What do we associate with thorns? Hardship, toil and labor, pain, decay. Even non-Christians know that this is not how the world is supposed to be. This is not how the world was when God looked at it and called it very good. Thorns remind us of the curse which Adam brought. Thorns remind us of sin. And I draw attention to this because of what we go on to read in verse 17. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. William Hendrickson notes in his commentary the poignant imagery that is, that is evoked by Jesus wearing thorns, a consequence of Adam's curse upon himself. Perhaps we can say in a similar way to which he will take our sins upon himself on the cross. Thorns, a symbol of the first Adam's disobedience, now sunk into the flesh of Jesus, the last Adam. The first Adam disobeyed God and brought all his children into sin, death, and misery. The last Adam obeyed God and brings all his seed into glorious, eternal life. We cry out in pain, don't we, if we get stuck by one or two thorns, or at least I know I do. The Son of God had a whole crown 
of them sinking into his head. What agony that must have been for a man who you'll remember from last week had already been flogged by the Romans. He was bloodied and beaten already. He probably had bone and even organs exposed. And then on top of that, he has this cruelty inflicted upon him as well. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is enduring this torture, this ridicule because of Adam's sin and the sins we committed. He's getting ready to drink the cup of the Father's wrath to atone for all of those evil works. But also by his obedience to the covenant of works, the covenant that Adam broke, he will reverse the curse upon creation and reunite heaven and earth. As we sing at Christmas time in that great hymn, Joy to the World, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now, brothers and sisters, make no mistake, as I said earlier, Jesus is today highly exalted and he deserves to be crowned with many crowns. But prior to his being highly exalted, he had to wear this painful crown meant to humiliate him. You're a king, huh? The Roman soldiers seemed to taunt. Well, then you'll need a crown. The soldiers of Rome served an emperor who you will remember claimed to be a god. And here they have the true son of God, the maker of heaven and earth in their presence, the king of kings, and this is how they treat him. Oh, if only they knew the dignity and the power of this man who stood before them. But our Lord endured it all, knowing that when he had completed his atoning work on the cross, that he would receive his reward from his father. And like Joseph in the Old Testament, he would be vindicated. Hebrews 2.9 teaches us this when it says, We see him for who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Beloved, the victory of Jesus, which we will read about in a few short weeks, becomes our victory as well. Not because of what we have earned, but because of what he has earned. And yet at the same time, church, we are foolish if we believe our Lord promises us an easy life to his people on earth. Christ warns us, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Sobering words, to be sure. But be encouraged that those warnings also come with promises. Paul tells Timothy, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Brothers and sisters, the prosperity gospel has deceived countless people into being hopelessly ill-equipped to endure suffering for the sake of Christ. Beloved, I ask, how will the church in America suffer through persecution when so many wolves have deceived them into believing that they shouldn't even suffer with a head cold? I risk being anachronistic here, but I will say anyway that the apostles were not going around the world on private jets, naming and claiming new yachts and getting interviewed by Oprah. And any man who tells you that suffering isn't a part of the Christian life is a liar. They are not a true servant of Jesus Christ. Christ says to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and follow after him. 
True pastors and teachers in Christ's church teach his word to his people. Perhaps it isn't easy to hear all the time. Perhaps it's not what we always want to hear, but Christ's words are continually what we need to hear, beloved. What does the Apostle Peter call them? The very words of what? Eternal life. True servants of Christ, true men of God, Proclaim that word, and like Christ, if necessary, they're willing to die for Christ's people. They aren't hirelings who don't have any real care for the sheep. And to the faithful pastor, the Apostle Peter promises that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, that's a beautiful and encouraging promise to um, pastors, but a promise is to all believers in Christ. To all my brothers and sisters, you too are promised crowns in glory for enduring to the end as you follow after Jesus. Listen to what he promised the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Again, James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Dear church, perseverance is a trait of the true Christian Otherwise, our Lord would not have taught us that the one who endures to the end will be saved. But as is sometimes said in the old saying, that leaders should lead by example. And Christ certainly does not ask his people to do something that he was unwilling to do. In fact, no matter what we may be called to endure in this life, as difficult as it may be, It will never be as difficult or as harrowing as what he had to suffer and endure for us. The Bible is the story of the one who created all things, stepping into creation and allowing himself to be abused and murdered by his own creatures. That's what God has done for you and for me, believer. How could we not be willing to live a life of endurance and obedience, flowing out of gratitude and love for such an awesome God? Our pilgrimage through this world as we follow after Christ, it may be difficult, but he doesn't abandon us. And that's not just suffering through persecution. That's all kinds of suffering. He is always with us. That's suffering through persecution. That's suffering through temptation. That's suffering through trauma or sickness. That's suffering through pain and loss or discouragement. Be encouraged this morning that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The saints and angels in heaven are cheering you on as you run the race, and your Savior is waiting for you at the finish line where he promises you the crown of life, when you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. This was the apostle Paul's hope as he was nearing the end of his life on earth. He tells Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing.
May we, brothers and sisters, have the same confidence that the Apostle Paul did. But lest we think that this is all our own doing, or this is something that we have to work up in ourselves, or that we would have a reason to boast, the Scriptures tell us this in Revelation 4, that whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." Dear believers, what more fitting place is there for the crowns we will receive than at the feet of our King? How else can we view Him as our greatest reward and the source of our everything? The crowns laid up for us that we are called to pursue, they will only be ours because he suffered and went to the cross with a terrible crown of thorns. Brothers and sisters, though there is no doubt that the Romans wanted to inflict pain upon Jesus with this hateful diadem that they placed upon him. They also wanted to make sport of him, to laugh, at him, to give him pretend honors. Jesus was not born under sin's curse, but he has its symbol, the symbol of sin's curse atop his head. But he's looking ahead to the cross so that you could be forgiven and behold him forever in glory. The glory that he had with the Father before the world was created. But of course, that wasn't the only cruel humiliation inflicted upon Jesus by the soldiers. Mark goes on to tell us in verses 18 and 19 that they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. We read earlier in verse 17 that he was given a purple cloak. Purple was the color of royalty. And they wanted to make their victim look the part of a king. But not content with that, they also give Jesus these disingenuous honors, kneeling down in him, spitting on him. Spitting, even in our culture, is a low and degrading insult. It's the lowest of the low. It's a sign of contempt and hatred. The Apostle Matthew tells us that the reed that Mark mentions had been given to Jesus as a mock scepter. Oh, this must have given so much joy to these darkened men's wicked hearts. A poor, broken man in his early 30s, bloody and beaten, with a thorny crown, a purple cloak thrown over his ravaged body, and a reed in his hand. They're attempting to make him look sad and silly. And then they proceed to take the reed and hit the king of the Jews. Now, I find it very interesting that this isn't the only place in the Scripture where we read of a reed in reference to Jesus. One of those places is in... Isaiah's description of the coming Messiah when he writes, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Brothers and sisters, we are the bruised reeds Isaiah speaks of. We are broken, weak, deserving to be broken and cast away. But that's not how Jesus dealt with us. That's not how he continues 
to deal with us. He upholds us, protects us. He pities us. He cherishes us. Do we sometimes forget that our Lord described himself as gentle and lowly? As Richard Sibbs reflected how often our faith is a faintly smoldering wick. Do you ever feel that way? Like it's so weak. There's barely anything there. But Christ doesn't snuff us out. And he's able to take that little glimmer and fan it into a raging inferno. When you fall, Christ picks you up. As we sing here in that great song, he will hold me fast. He won't let your soul be lost. So dear believer, if you are struggling with something today, there is nowhere else for you to run than into the arms of Christ. He won't break you. Look at what he has endured for you. He received blows with a broken reed so that he could mend and protect all of us broken reeds. It was, after all, our brokenness and our sins that he had to suffer for. It was our sins that were laid upon him. He hasn't, nor will he ever, Give up on you. You will not be discarded by him. And by grace, dear one, you will reach the end. To every non-believer who is listening to me this morning, whether you are here among us or listening online, hear the gospel proclaimed to you. You are a condemned sinner. You have an eternity of judgment in hell for your sins. You cannot save yourself, but Jesus can. You are not too wicked or too broken. You are not beyond the stretch of his mercy. Humble yourself. Repent of your sins. Trust in the sacrifice that he made of himself on the cross. Believe in his resurrection from the dead, and you will be saved, forgiven, justified. There is no alternative. You will either spend an eternity paying for your sins, or Christ will have paid for them on the cross. I urge you this morning to flee to him from the wrath to come. Forsake the evil acts that you have clung to, that you have enjoyed. Cast them away. He will not turn you away. He will gladly receive you. Verse 20 of our passage today reads, And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. So we see that these wicked men had had their fill of fun. They were finished with their mockery, their cruelty. And perhaps they were afraid that if they had kept going on, that Jesus would have died and been unable to go to the cross to be crucified. And so they take this frail man and force him on the road to his execution. The lamb is being led to the slaughter. And that's where we'll pick up next week. But as for this week, as we um, prepare to enter into a time of prayer and reflection, I don't want to end this sermon with this understanding of Jesus as a victim because everything he has endured, he has done willingly. And today, he isn't wearing a crown of thorns. He is crowned with majesty and glory at the Father's right hand. In Revelation 14, John describes for us what he sees in one of his visions. 
Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. That, brothers and sisters, is the risen Lord Jesus coming back in triumph, a crown of honor atop his head. His head that was once pierced with the thorns of Adam's curse. No one is ever going to kill him again. His and our enemies are defeated. And none of our crowns, beloved, as wonderful as they may be. I I don't know what they're going to look like what they will be like, but I do know that they will not rival the splendor of His and glory. But I wonder, beloved, are you living your life in such a way so as to store up those treasures and those crowns in heaven? Or sometimes, if you were to be honest with yourself, are there treasures in this life that you would prefer instead? Do not be so short-sighted so as to forsake eternal rewards for earthly things that will pass away. They might even pass away sooner than you're expecting. How foolish an exchange that is. We as Christians live this life always with the next life in view on the horizon. That's our hope. That's what we're running towards. This world isn't all there is, beloved, so don't act like it's all there is. So to the Spirit. Read your Bible. Pray to your Father in heaven. Bless other people. Store up those heavenly treasures. As we live this life, we're doing it in the power of our King who is watching over and protecting us as He rules over us from heaven. What does that mean? Well, it means you have nothing to fear, Christian. Nothing can happen to you unless King Jesus allows it for your good. He is upholding you today. He is keeping you. And allow me to encourage your soul with this, that Satan and all the armies of hell cannot rip you away from his side. Are you excited about that? Do you think about that? Do you hope for Jesus' return? Beloved, I pray you do. There is literally nothing greater that could happen in your life No career, no relationship, no accomplishment of any kind can even begin to measure up to that glorious event when he will appear in the clouds. Either we will look to heaven and see him descend, or a future generation of believers will look and see him descend, and we'll be among those coming with him. Either way, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Hasten that day, O God. On that day, no one is going to be bowing down in mockery to Jesus. No one is going to be deriding Jesus. No one is going to be spitting on him. They will be bowing down in humble recognition of who he is and who they are. The Apostle Paul teaches us, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, the one who endured all of this suffering, all of this anguish, this coronation of cruelty, he has been and will forever be crowned with many crowns. 
Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, we are amazed by the Lord Jesus. That, uh, that though he knew no sin, though that he had never committed any acts of evil against you or against his neighbor, that he endured these punishments, all of these afflictions, this mockery. He endured it for us fallen sons and daughters of Adam who had offended you, us broken reeds who deserve to be thrown away and burnt. But Father, you set your love upon us. You gave us to him. And he came and he faithfully lived the life that we couldn't. He suffered the way that we should have suffered. And he arose. And that he will never die again. Father, that his life is our life. Oh, we thank you for that. Lord, we are such an undeserving people. We are such a weak and needy people. Every day, we are in desperate need of you upholding us by your righteous right hand. But we have the assurance that Christ will keep us, that we are in the palm of your hand and that no one, nothing can snatch us out. Lord, help us to endure to the end. That whatever may be ahead of us in our life, whatever you have called us to, whatever suffering there may be, help us to endure it in Christ. Help us not to neglect the means of grace. That through hard times, through difficulties, when we're discouraged or when we're afraid, that we would look to Him and not to anyone else, not to anything else. That we would cherish Him above all other people, above all other things. Oh God, help us to live lives such that Jesus is our greatest joy and delight. And that we could truly say that there is nothing we are more looking forward to than beholding him in glory. Magnified. Crowned with a glory of honor and majesty atop his head. Oh God, forgive us for when we have sought refuge or comfort or help in other things aside from him. Or when we have not delighted in him as we ought. Father, help us evermore to be like him as we follow him. Help us to encourage one another as we live this pilgrim life in this world. And help us always to live with the next world, the new heavens and the new earth in our view. Thank you for the gospel. For the, for the forgiveness of sins that is ours, for the peace that we have with you in this blessed covenant of grace. And may we ever be joyful because of that. Oh God, we lift up this prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen.